Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. The Supreme Court made two landmark decisions on higher education recently that affect millions of California college students. The court struck down President Biden's plan to erase $400 billion in student debt, affecting about 3.5 million borrowers in California. And the court also declared race-conscious admissions policies at colleges unlawful. We have a country that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go to college, make something of yourself. So we take the advice, we do the things we're supposed to, we take out more debt to accomplish this feat, and then we enter the workforce and can't even make as much money. What do these decisions mean for Californians? And how are the universities and others responding? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Kristen McGuire was the first in her family to go to college and graduate almost 20 years ago. She grew up in a working class family. Her mom was a welder back in the Midwest, then worked at Arby's here in California. So really, when I completed the FAFSA, I had a zero expected family contribution. Uh, So college should have been very close to free. But Kristen had to pay for all the other costs beyond just tuition at CSU Dominguez Hills. Housing on campus, food, books. She worked throughout the four years of college to make ends meet, 20 to 35 hours a week. And she still had to take out a student loan. And remember, it was the first time anyone in her family had done that. My family, we, when I went to college, we really thought it would be as simple as paying a car note. That's even how we came up with the amount of how much we didn't want to exceed. My mom's car was $20,000. We had proof that we could pay a $20,000 loan off in a reasonable amount of time. So Kristen took out a loan for $22,000. But paying off my loan was not as simple as paying a set amount of money for a set amount of time. The $22,000 ballooned over the years to more than $50,000, in part because the minimum payments didn't cover the interest. And I think that's really where the system failed borrowers like me, um, not being able to have enough time to talk to your servicer and understand the options that were available, understand what happens when you run into a hard spot, even understanding where to make your payments. And so it makes me feel really upset that something that should have been as simple as being able to pay off my debt has become a a lifelong burden. So when Kristen heard the Supreme Court ruling striking down Biden's student debt relief program, she was devastated and not just for herself. I felt like the rug was ripped from underneath borrowers across the country who really just took took a leap of faith and decided to hope that our government would would do something for the people. And um, that hope really just, it really dissipated really quickly. Kristen is the executive director of an organization called Young Invincibles. It's a national political advocacy group for young people. In that capacity, she talks with young adults all across the country. And when the Supreme Court decision was announced... I just instantly started to recall all of their stories. And what I tell everyone is, my story is not unique or exceptional. Uh, It is very commonplace for many first-time college students, first-generation college students, to experience the very same thing that I did. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. 
I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, two Supreme Court decisions that will change higher education. Late last month, the Supreme Court not only struck down Biden's plan to eliminate a large part of student debt, it also ruled that colleges and universities cannot consider race in the admissions process. Both decisions will have a greater effect on Black and Latino students than white students. My colleagues Carolyn Jones and Michael Burke covered the Supreme Court decisions for EdSource. I asked Michael to come speak with me about them. Hi, Michael. Hi, Zadie. So, Michael, how significant are these decisions? Uh, I think they're very significant with, um, first of all, with the student loans. You know, President Biden had, had planned to erase, uh, I think it was $400 billion in, in student debt, and it would have affected, you know, 43 million borrowers across the country, erasing up to 20000 in in debt for some of those borrowers, which is obviously, you know, a huge amount for a lot of individuals. So I think, you know, the fact that that's not happening um, is a huge deal. And then with affirmative action, you know, same thing, obviously, that's going to affect a lot of colleges across the country that, that do consider race and admissions, and now they can't. And, and as kind of evidenced in, in California, where, you know, affirmative action used to be allowed at the, at the colleges and admissions, and then was taken away, you know, in, in the 90s and, and had a big impact. I think, you know, a lot of experts are saying that the same thing is going to happen now across the country. So, yeah, I think for both, they're, they're pretty massive rulings. And so how does that affirmative action ruling, how does that actually affect California? Yeah, so the biggest impact would be at the private colleges because uh, Prop 209, which banned the consideration of, of race and admissions, only applied to the public colleges. So, you know, the private colleges have still been allowed to consider race. And I think, you know, some of them were really worried about this ruling, especially some of the private uh, liberal arts colleges like Pomona College, for example, down here in, in L.A. County. I think those are the ones that are that are especially concerned about it. So, Michael, actually, I want to clear up a myth about affirmative action. I hear a lot of people say, you know, they think they particularly or someone else got into a certain college because of affirmative action. And it, it sort of lends itself to this idea that people are getting in even though they're not qualified. Yeah. And my understanding is that that is not true. Yeah, I don't think that's true at all. Even the colleges that have considered race as a factor, it's just one part of the admissions review process. So, yeah, even, even colleges that have considered it, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at a whole lot of other stuff, too. And, and it was just one probably really small factor, honestly, in most cases of a larger review process that most colleges use. So, and you still have to meet the, the minimum qualifications for a, a given college to, to get in for those colleges that do have minim, minimum qualifications. Michael, let's talk about the student debt relief decision. Do you have a sense of how big a problem student debt is in California? It's a big problem. And, and the decision specifically is a big deal because it's about 3.8 million Californians who um, have federal student loan debt and about 3.5 million of them, so almost all of them, would have been eligible to have some loans forgiven. And, and those 3.5 million borrowers, um, they owe an average of $37,000. And among that pool, uh, about two thirds of those people would have been eligible for the maximum amount of 20,000 uh, because they received Pell Grants, which is what determines 
the eligibility there. So yeah, it would have had a huge impact in California. And, and now that this ruling came down, how it did, it's you know going to have a huge impact on all those students or former students who were expecting to have those loans forgiven. Right. And it's something that previous generations didn't really have to deal with just because the cost of college has gone up so much. Exactly. Kristen McGuire says the payment pause has actually proven just how much student debt impacts borrowers. I was just on the phone on Friday with a woman who said during the payment pause, she was able to purchase a car for her mom, which was a lifeline for her mother to be able to work part time. And those are the things we take for granted. Like this woman was able to find employment and provide food for herself because her daughter's loans were paused. And and those are the, the stories that I, I recall, like the intergenerational impact of this student loan crisis. What does it mean for many people of color who, who still provide for multiple generations in their family? This payment pause helped all of us. And the thought of maybe getting loans cut in half or even completely canceled, it would have been life-changing for many families across the country. Michael, I also understand that student debt affects uh, students of color more so that it's it's a bigger percentage of black and Latino students have student debt than the percentage of white students who have student debt. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, black and uh, Latino borrowers are, are definitely disproportionately impacted. Uh, actually, according to the state's uh, Department of Financial Protection, about 90 percent of black borrowers or, or students and 72 percent of Latino students take out student loans compared to 66% of, of white students. And then, you know, once they're actually out of college and graduated, a higher percentage of, of the black and Latino borrowers um, have reported being behind on paying those debts. So yeah, there's definitely a disproportionate impact there for sure. Both of the Supreme Court decisions will widen the wealth gap that already exists between black and Latino families and white families, says Kristen. We have a country that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go to college, make something of yourself. As flawed as that logic is to start with, we actually have people like myself and and millions of others across the country who've taken that advice and done that very thing, right? We're, we're beating the odds, we're going to college in the face of poverty, we're excelling, we're succeeding, and we're graduating by any means necessary. Now, if you've done all of those things and you happen to be a woman, you get the pleasure of entering the workforce making less than your male counterparts. Beyond that, if you have the audacity to be black or Latina and a woman, you make even less than your white female counterparts. That's already a recipe for a disaster, right? We've demonstrated that we can be successful in higher education, and now that education is more expensive for us. And it creates a lifetime of debt and hardship. It makes us purchase homes later in life which means the creation of even the, the wealth of property ownership is delayed uh, for, for many uh, Black women. The affirmative action ruling will also widen the racial wealth gap, she says, by decreasing the number of students of color able to attend college. She points to the UC system as a test case. We've seen that without affirmative action, there's been no other substitute to ensure that we're allowing students of color on our college campuses they still haven't been able to hit the numbers. So we know for a fact, with no disputes, that this does not work the way that the Supreme Court believes it will. If 
the American dream involves being able to kind of chart your own course and build your own pathway, we've significantly cut off people of color from being able to do that. This will create uh, future generations of a lack of generational wealth in families and households. Interestingly, the Supreme Court made an exception in its ruling for military academies. So they are able to consider race in admissions. I think that's important to note because our Supreme Court says, basically, you can allow people to enter the military academies if they are black and brown to go serve our countries and, you know, make sure you have as many as possible there. But, oh, if we're talking about college, it, need, it needs to be so fair that we don't want to know what race you are because it's not important to ensure that academia reflects the actual country that we live in. Uh, what this means anecdotally is that our students of color have been told by our country that uh, their value is lessened on college campuses. Uh, we've even heard from some young people saying they don't feel as though they belong on their college campus, which is exactly what affirmative action should have been trying to remedy. Uh, and the lack of it is actually adding to the problem. Michael, just how much impact did it have in 1996 when California public universities could no longer consider race and admissions after Prop 209 was passed? Yeah, so there was a really big impact and it was especially the case at the most selective campuses. So thinking about UCLA, UC Berkeley, the, the enrollments for black students in particular and Latino students dropped pretty significantly right after that ruling. I think enrollments among both black students and Latino students were basically cut in half or maybe even a little more than that. And so, yeah, it was it was pretty immediate and they've tried to kind of recover and they've you know tried to do more outreach to, you know, low income schools and do more of these holistic review processes where they're looking at more than just a student's grades and test score. Um, and, and, and all those efforts have been kind of designed to um, increase diversity, but without being able to, to look specifically at race, they, they have basically over the years failed to enroll a, a student body that's reflective of the state's demographics. And they actually, you know, went to the Supreme Court and acknowledged that, um, UC did. They, 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 they wrote a brief to the court and basically encouraged them not to get rid of affirmative action um, because they were worried that, you know, sort of the experience that they've had um, would also happen uh, across the rest of the country if affirmative action was taken away. Kristen saw the impact of Prop 209 at her own college. When I attended college, um, we used to call Cal State Dominguez Hills the West Coast Black College. I believe at that time we had the highest percentage of black students uh, from all of the, the public schools, right? Uh, so it, it was a great time to, to be around other people like me. However, uh, 10 years from then, uh, we definitely saw a steep decline uh, in black students on that campus. When we started as alums, started to notice the decline in black student population, then it clicked, oh, this is a delayed reaction, a delayed response to Prop 209. Michael, what have you heard from California officials and California universities about these decisions? Well, I think from the public colleges, like UC in particular, when the decision came out, 
you know, as we've talked about, they've been kind of dealing with this reality for a long time. Um, and their president, Michael Drake, basically came out and, um, you know, offered to, to help other colleges across the country that, that are now going to have to, you know, try to make decisions without race and especially colleges that, you know, strive to have diverse student classes. There's been a lot of talk about what California could teach the rest of the country. So can you um, explain a little bit more about what you see and perhaps CSU might be able to teach the rest of the country what they've used instead of race? Yes. So after Prop 209 was approved in in the 90s, in in the early 2000s, UC introduced what they they call holistic review. Um, And to be clear, a lot of universities are are already doing this, even ones that um, have been allowed to to consider race across the country. So I just wanted to mention that first. Um, But basically what they've done is rather than only looking at um, a student's grades and their test scores to make a decision on, on whether they should be admitted, you know, they consider a lot of different factors when reviewing applicants. So they look at, you know, the, lo- the location of an applicant's school and, and um, you know, the, the student's performance relative to kind of the opportunities that are available at their school, or they look at their socioeconomic status. And then they've also really ramped up their outreach efforts, um, trying to reach out to students who are enrolled at maybe low-income high schools. And all those efforts have been kind of their attempt to... to enroll a diverse student body. Um, it hasn't exactly worked. I mean, they, they've, and UC has admitted this, that their student body is definitely not reflective of the state's demographics, but having those holistic review processes and not just looking at a student's grades have at least helped them enroll a slightly more diverse class than they otherwise would have been able to. And they've also, um, more recently, they've, they've gotten rid of standardized tests and admissions, which they're hopeful will, will further help diversify their their student body. After the Supreme Court decision, Young Invincibles is already looking to its next steps, fighting for more subsidized student housing, more financial aid, more transparency regarding loan terms and repayment options, and better communication from the government and loan servicers about the true cost of student loans. The Department of Education also announced new plans after the ruling to help people who are struggling to repay student debt. Still, Kristen is worried. There's a lot that concerns me. One, uh, how will we equip future college students to apply and get accepted into institutions of higher education? What does it look like trying to prepare a student who maybe doesn't have the foundation of a parent who had gone to college or maybe their school has not invested or have the resources for the best counseling department? What can we do now to still create Uh, campuses that provide a sense of community for students who maybe don't see folks who come from similar backgrounds. Um, I'm also concerned with how we teach young people about financing their higher education. I'm also on a, a local school board here in California, and I hear a lot from parents and students alike about college being worth it. You know, is it worth the debt? And I think one of the unintended consequences of talking about student debt is that when people only hear the big numbers in the national headlines, they don't hear that a college education is still the number one way to pull oneself out of poverty and to create generational wealth, right? And that you have a higher capacity for lifetime earnings and wages than a person without a college degree. 
but she also has hope. My daughter gives me hope. Uh, my daughter just turned 16 um, last week. And I think what gives me hope is listening to her and her friends talk. And I can tell that they're listening to me. Um, I hear her asking her friends what institutions of higher education they're, <laughs> they're looking at. It gives me hope to know that there are young people who are listening. Our young people, they are paying attention. They're holding people accountable. Um, and they are, they are fighting for their place of, of economic opportunity in our country. And that really makes me excited. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. You can find Michael and Carolyn's stories on the Supreme Court decisions at edsource.org. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Kristen McGuire and reporter Michael Burke. Also a big thank you to Carolyn Jones, who has moved on from EdSource to other adventures. We wish her well. Our CEO is Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the College Futures Foundation and the Lumina Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.